Let's just bow in prayer at this time. Father, we thank you for your goodness in bringing us together this morning. Thank you for this tremendous time of sharing and worshiping together, of remembering our Savior and, and what he's done for us. We thank you that we can uh, really uh, come together to worship you in this way. Thank you for this time of looking into your word and the thoughts there. We pray that it might uh, help us in our, uh, our own uh, lives to help us to share what we know of you with those around us. We pray these things in, our name of, in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, sorry for the voice today. I, I tried this new voice, but I think I'll send it back later. It's not really working for me. And it, I know it'll be a bit uncomfortable sometimes when you're listening and I have to clear my throat, so I apologize for that. Our, our topics uh, this, this time are uh, evangelism. And I was given the uh, tremendous topic of evangelism in the Old Testament. I saw that and I said, what? Uh, what does that mean? But anyway, I'd like to start out with a story that took place at this location. This is the, uh, the hill that this, the city of Samaria was built on back, you know, back in those old, day, old Testament times. It is now part of the West Bank of Israel, and there's a little village on the top right here called uh, Sebasti. But here was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. City on a hill, built there and in a defensive position, so it would be difficult to conquer, and indeed it was. And if you look at the map, uh, you can see Samaria here. And it was right in the sort of the central part of that northern kingdom of Israel. Just a few other places to keep in mind. This is Damascus and the kingdom of Aram. Aram. And uh, these two nations didn't always see eye to eye, nor did the ones up here in the Assyrian Empire. So we'll just keep those in thought as we go through our talk this morning. So the king at the time of our story was Joram. Elisha was the prophet of God. And the Arameans were attacking Israel. They had laid a siege to the city of Samaria, so I can just picture them all around, the army all around that hill. And they, they did that because they didn't want a, a frontal assault on the city. So their, their, uh, um, their idea was to just starve the city out. So they were, their strategy was just lay siege to the city. Eventually everybody in the city would get so hungry and, and uh, weak that the city would just surrender. And that was usually fairly successful if you could keep the siege up for long enough to do that. Well, they'd been there for a while and they were starving that city into submission and things were really desperate in the city. There was terrible conditions in the city and they couldn't hold out much longer. Outside of the city walls, but in between the army and the city, were living four leprous men. Now, they were in really desperate situation. They had nothing in the world to begin with, and now they had even less. They, said, they said, looked at themselves and said, you know, we could go into the city, we would die there. We could stay here where we are, and we're going to die here. So we might as well go to the army, the encircling army, and just see what will happen if we say, can you have mercy on us? They'll probably kill us, but we'll die then. You know, they didn't have a lot of choices, in other words. So this was sort of their best of the worst options. They were going to go and just say, can you help us? So they waited till nightfall. Then they decided, okay, we're going to go in. 
So they get to the camp and they find, strangely, it's really quiet. Not too much happening here. wonder why. I, we thought we'd be dead by now. Uh, they go in and knock, knock. Nobody's home. The army is completely gone. And there were leftover food, clothing, money, animals. Everything was left, but the, the army was gone. And they said, hey, party time. And they started to eat because that's what they really wanted to do, right? So they, so they filled themselves up. They said, hey, there's, there's some nice uh, change here. Let's take some gold and silver and we'll put that away and some clothing, good. Oh, let's have another party. Let's have, start again. We'll take some more clothing and gold and maybe have a bit more food. So they did that for a while and they started to think, you know, this isn't really right. We're here now. Fast, uh, feasting and enjoying this, and there are people in the city that are starving. And, uh, and they said to themselves, this is a day of good news. We need to tell the people in the city that, of this good news. So they, they went back and they said, hey, the army's gone. Don't believe you. Yeah, but they're gone. Now come and check it out. So eventually the king sent out a little scouting party and they found the army was gone. And they looked around and they, there was a trail of leftovers going all the way back to their country. But they never found the army. The, God had call, caused the, the army to hear a sound of another attacking army and they'd all run away. And God had miraculously delivered the city. But these four lepers, unlikely bearers of good news as they were, because they had the least of anything, they brought good news to the, uh, to the city. I share that because this, this topic of evangelism is really sharing good news, right? Evangelism means, from the Greek word, good news. And we usually think of it as sharing the gospel, which also in, in Old English means good news. So it's good news about good news. And <clears throat> we think about the gospel as dealing with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's really focused on Jesus. And the, so how can there be evangelism in the Old Testament if it's about Jesus? Well, there's a couple of ways you could approach this uh, topic, and we could look at the passages in the Old Testament that sort of foretell the, the ministry of Jesus and his work, and there's quite a number of them. The, the thing is, though, without looking at the New Testament, if we're not allowed to peek there, we won't really understand them very well if we just had the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, when Jesus lived, even then, the people didn't get it. There weren't anybody really understanding these passages in the Old Testament until Jesus was resurrected and he said, hey, listen, look at this, guys. These are the passages about me. And then they started to realize that the Old Testament was quite full of these uh, foretellings of Jesus' work. And they started to connect them with Jesus' ministry. And so you could go through those many passages in the Old Testament and that would be a wonderful study but I thought it might be a bit of a long lecture and I didn't really want to go there and I don't think my voice would hold out and you'll probably be bored anyway with that. But I would commend that to your, for your study because it's a very fruitful study. But I thought we'd broaden the, the, the look at what good news meant in the Old Testament. Well, this is a picture of, of a runner and in the early uh, part of the Old Testament we see that, that good news was often associated with these runners that would run from place to place and bear the news. So if there was a big battle and the, and the, the king was victorious, victoriously, he would send a runner running back to the, to the city to tell the people, good news, we're, we're victorious. And so these runners were associated with bearers of good news. I don't know if they brought bad news, and that's a little different. But anyway, they, they would bring good news. Um, so if we could look at the evangelism in the Old Testament as 
as sharing good news about God, their, their experiences with God, their personal understanding of God, people sharing that idea with other people. And I think that sort of looks at evangelism in the Old Testament the similar way we would look at it today, where we share the good news that we've experienced about Jesus with somebody else. So in, from that sense, of, sense of the, the evangelism in the Old Testament won't look really that much different. So I thought we'd look at a couple of examples of evangelism in that context that took place in the Old Testament. And uh, maybe we can learn some uh, lessons from them, gain some wisdom, maybe some insights into evangelism of any age, whether it's Old Testament or in our New Testament era. So uh, the two evangelists that I'd like to look at, one of them, I would say, was the most successful evangelist of all time, probably, and, uh, and he, he was very successful in his evangelistic work, but he was also the most flawed evangelist of all time, probably. And uh, he, was, he had a lot of deficiencies in his character and troubles in his life. And the other one that I would like to look at is, I would say, the most noble evangelist of all time, but probably the humblest, and you wouldn't probably guess, maybe you might, but you might guess which one I'm thinking about, but... Uh, you probably guessed the first one if you've been thinking about it. I think Dave even mentioned some of these things last week in his talk. And of course, I'm thinking about Jonah the prophet. Um, he was a prophet in that northern kingdom. We showed you the picture of the northern kingdom. And he, he, uh, he lived in the 700s, you know, like 800 to 750 BC range. And he ministered under King Jeroboam II, the king of Israel. Now, you'd had a difficult time being a prophet in Israel. A prophet of God in Israel wasn't easy because none of the kings of the northern kingdom uh, ever were called godly. They all led people astray into false practices, false worship, uh, never led them to God. And so the prophets of God had a tough time trying to bring the people back to God with these kings that were always going the wrong way. And it would be hard, hard to speak about uh, God in that hostile environment, probably. But that's what his role was, and he was doing that job, I think. We don't hear a lot about Jonah, except in, in, uh, for a verse, and then in, his, in the book with his name on it, the book of Jonah, is where we're going to get the, some of their ideas from today. In that book, we hear God giving this prophet to Israel a, a really strange assignment. He says, go, go to the city of Nineveh. Now, where in the Israel is that, Lord? I don't think... No, that's not in Israel. That's way over in Assyria. No, 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 that's not where I go. Um, go to the city of Nineveh. Tell them there that they, uh, their behavior has been so atrocious that I can't, I can't put up with it anymore, God's saying. So Nineveh was the, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Message, go, go preach to them. They're in a bad way. I can't ignore it any longer. Not exactly the good news that we would, we would call it good news, but we knew that Jonah had a lot of experience with God and he knew more of God than just that message. But how much would he share of what he knew with God in addition to that message? We'll look at that more as we go through the story. But really, when, when Jonah's asked to go tell them, they're in a bad way, but there is hope. Probably that would be part of the message that I think he should have delivered, would have wanted to deliver, I would hope. And that's not that much different from our message today, is it? Tell people that we're in a bad way, but there is hope. So Jonah got up and left, but he went in exactly the opposite direction, right? So you see that 
Nineveh with the capital of Assyria, and here's the northern kingdom. So he had a 500-mile trip to go this way, but he takes to, uh, gets on a boat and starts to head this way. Now, their maps of the world at that time would have probably ended about here. There really wasn't anything over there. You know, like that's as far in the world as you could get from where you were supposed to go. It was at the end of the world. Timmins would be about here somewhere, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's even past Timmins, you know, going way past things. So he tried to get as much distance as he could between God and, 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 uh, and himself. And uh, wonder, he just sort of tried to block out, you know, these instructions of God in his mind. I'm just going to put that aside. I don't want to do that. I wonder if we ever try and block out God's message to us sometimes. We do things like getting really busy. You know, we do a lot of things to keep, uh, keep that message a little bit suppressed so it doesn't bother us. Take a trip like Jonah, but maybe, you know, some little bit more destination-wise. Um, and go immerse ourselves in our work or our other activities. And we just sort of put aside what God has been telling us and we sort of suppress that message. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh anyway? Well, <clears throat> excuse me for a second. Thank you, Joe. Joe, did you put this water here? It's really good. Yeah. So why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? But maybe he was a bit afraid of going to Nineveh. I mean, that's realistic. He, these were the enemies of Israel. And if prophets in Israel ended up in a bad way sometimes, I suspect that someone going to the capital city of a foreign country, world power, and saying, listen, you guys, smarten up or you're going to get you know, cut off. And the king hears a message like that, and okay, that guy's head's gone. You know, like, so maybe he was a bit afraid. Perhaps Jonah didn't like the Assyrian people very much. He uh, heard about them. They, they were a threat to Israel. They were a rough bunch, and they did things, they were bad people, and they're not us, you know, they're not our group. I don't really like them. I'm going to stay away from those people. They're not Hebrews, they're the enemies. Why don't we just let God's judgment fall? Why do we have to tell them about it anyway? If they get judged and they're destroyed, one less enemy for Israel, so why not? And the sinners, they deserve what they get. God should really judge them. I don't want to tell them that they are, there's a chance that they could be saved or get, have compassion shown. No, no, I don't want to do that. He didn't really want, care what happened to these people. He would had very little compassion for these, these foreigners. He was more concerned about himself, how he would be perceived, his own comfort, his reputation. What would I look like if, if what I said didn't actually happen? It would be proven not to be a true prophet then. That's bad for the reputation because prophets have to, you know, what they say has to happen. Well, the, these, sort of, these sort of excuses or reasons for not sharing good news with others kind of resonate with me a little bit. And like, I, I don't really feel comfortable with that group. I don't really know if I want to go and talk to them. They're, they're different. Or they probably... Uh, are a little bit scary. I don't really want to be involved in that. And, but, you know, that's going to be a hardship for me. I, I'm, I'm more comfortable just you know, staying where I am and staying quiet. For whatever reason, Jonah decided not to go to Nineveh, so he took the boat. Here's the town of, or the city of Joppa today. 
uh, some of the fishing boats there. Anyway, left from this port, went out onto the sea. We know the story. The sea got really rough. The waves were tremendously high. The boat was threatened by breaking up. Uh, the sailors were ter- terrified. They started to do all the things they needed to do to try and save the ship, row it back to shore, didn't work. Throw the cargo overboard to, to lighten the ship, didn't work, still in th- danger. They said, everybody get and pray to your God that, 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 that we might be saved. And so we did that. But where's that other guy that, that got on Joppa? Where is he? Oh, he's down asleep in the hold. Well, what's he doing down there? Get him up and tell him to pray. Okay. Okay, let's find out who, who's responsible here. Who's causing all this problem? Let's draw straws. We'll see who gets the short straw. And, uh, Jonah gets the short straw. So who are you, buddy? What did you do? What, are, what God do you serve? And why are we in this trouble? And he says, well, I'm a Hebrew. I serve the God who made this wind and water and land and sea. You what? You serve that God? Oh, man, what did you do? Well, I'm running away. Oh, man. Well, what should we do to, to get out of this trouble? Just throw me overboard. Oh, we can't do that. That wouldn't be right. Let's try again. They say, try to get the boat to shore and it's, the waves are just getting higher and higher. And Finally, they said, well, it's either us or him. Let's see. Okay, it's him. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's throw him overboard. And over he goes. And the waves die down. The storm stops. The, these sailors were terrified of the water in one minute. Now they're in awe of God. So Jonah has already had a successful evangelistic campaign. He has converted these sailors to, to understanding the God of creation. Why did God go to such lengths to pursue Jonah? Like why? Like So he runs the other way. Let's go find an, another prophet. Why, why does God need Jonah? Oh, and why does God need any of us? Like, why does he need people to tell this message? He's got other ways he could do it. I mean, he could show great signs and wonders in the sky or have a great earthquake and rattle the people of Nineveh up that way. Or he could uh, announce from heaven in his own voice. I mean, he could just tell them. He could write on their walls. He's, he could uh, send angels. I mean, he's done all these sort of things in the past to some people, but God, for some reason, has chosen that people should be the bearers of his message to other people. And he had a commitment that Jonah was going to be that messenger to send to Nineveh. And he's decided that people are the bearers of good news to other people. I don't know exactly why that is. You know, God's ways are not our ways. But for one thing, I think I can think of that it's really a benefit to the messenger. Those who tell this good news get tremendous benefit. They understand more of God the more they tell. And the more they share that experience, the greater their, their understanding of God, the greater their gift of him in their, in, in their lives. And I think people are more receptive to other people. I think God's great glory and splendor, it usually has terrified other people when it's been shown, when people have experienced that. And God is not into terrifying us into accepting his good news, but he wants people to share that good news. Real people who have experience with God can share that with other people. So for some reason, God had said to Jonah, you're the one. Well, Jonah's miraculously saved after they throw him overboard. You know the story of being swallowed by the fish and then being tossed up on dry land later. 
He has a remarkable uh, salvation from that uh, near-death experience. And then he decides, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. So he's off to the city of Nineveh. Um, he gets there, finds a huge, large city. It was said to take three days to walk across. Jonah walked in for the first day and then started to preach. Told them the message, you know, like, God's fed up with your behavior. You need to change in 40 days. God's going to destroy this place. And lo and behold, the people listened. As a group, they all trusted God. They declared a fast. The king said, everybody needs to fast and wear burlap and show you're your really sorry for all that you've done. The rich, the poor, the famous, the obscure, the powerful, and the peasants, everybody should be involved. And maybe God will change his mind, the king said. And he did. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says, God saw what they had done. They had turned away from their evil lives. He did change his mind about them. What he said he would do to them, he didn't do. There were 120,000 people plus in that city, and they all repented. And that's why I say he's the most successful evangelist. I mean, how many other people have preached for a day and had 120,000 converts? I mean, that's, that's remarkable. And so Jonah gets really angry with God. That's, dude, why did he do that? Like, that's just backwards, right? Why would Jonah get angry? But here he was, furious, because God changed his mind. He changed the plan. I knew it, he said. So in, in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Well, that's the gospel right there, isn't it? I mean, but did Jonah tell them that bit? Or did he just say, you're going to get axed in 40 days? I kind of think he, he sort of didn't tell the whole story. I think he held back a little bit about this big idea of mercy and grace that God has. Because he knew this. That's why he went to Tarshish. But he didn't really want to tell the people of Nineveh that because he wanted them to get their just desserts, I think. And he was furious. So he wanted the city destroyed. Can this be a problem in evangelism? Sometimes we just don't tell the whole story. You know, sometimes we hold back a little bit of what we want to say or what we should say, I mean. Uh, and we're kind of not real with people. We're just, well, we're doing it for our own ulterior motives, maybe, or for our own gain. Sometimes our motives are, are not pure when we're trying to tell people some good news. So can God use flawed evangelists to bring new, good news to others? Well, obviously he did in this case, and he did it successfully. And he, and he really worked at it. God really chased Jonah to get this good news out and to get Jonah into this uh, city. So God can use people who are flawed. That's comforting for all of us, because I don't think there's any of us who are not flawed. And so that's a good example. I'm going to go on to the next example of, of an evangelist. Um, this, uh, this evangelist is... Uh, very kind of obscure. Don't even have a name for this evangelist. It's a young girl. Now, we, we talked in our 
uh, persecuted church this morning of, of the girls that were abducted. And this is a girl we find in 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, I put a, a picture of one of the contemporary girls in trouble in our, in our world. But this young girl was captured in a raid by the Arameans again. She was captured when the raiding party came through and she was taken back to a foreign land. She was taken from her family. We don't know what happened to her family. I wonder how much of her experience is like the experience of, of these uh, people that today that are suffering. You know, like the, typically, the, the male members of the family were killed and the, and the girls were taken. Uh, did she experience that? Don't know. She certainly lost her home and uh, was separated from her homeland and her family. I hope she didn't undergo the, the brutality that many of these uh, captives face today. Uh, the really sad stories uh, that are coming out of the same area of the world that, uh, that this takes place in. What would she think about God in all of this? I mean, here you've been captured, you've been taken away, you've been made a slave in another country. Do you think God sort of real at all or would he, would he does he care about me uh, i mean these are questions what what would she be thinking what would she think about life now she was given the uh, role of being servant to the wife of the general of the aramean army so the 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 guy who led raids into israel maybe led the raid that captured her was her master uh do you think if, if he became sick, what would she think? You know, good, finally God's paying him back for, for all of the uh, hardships that he's placed on us. Would you be, as this girl, would you be eager to see him cured and, and brought back to health? So this, this young girl had a very virtuous heart because she actually was concerned about her, her master. And she said to her mistress that there was hope in Israel for her master. There was a prophet there that could help him. She shared with her mistress good news about what was available in Israel. It's a tremendously unselfish thing to do, you know, for these people that have harmed you or have dragged you out of your country. They're still concerned about their welfare. Well, how did she know there was a prophet that could help? How, where did she find out about this uh, well, maybe she came from the same town as the widow who had the oil that was poured into jars and filled up the jars. Maybe she knew that story. Or maybe she knew the boy that was brought back to life by the prophet. He might have been one of her playmates. Who knows? Uh, somehow she knew that there was a prophet in, in Israel that could help her master. And what she knew, she shared with her captors. With her captors. And why would she think that God would help him if he hadn't helped her. I mean, here she was in a bad way, and, and yet he th she thinks that prophet can help him. Remarkable. Remarkable uh, generosity in her, in her soul and her heart. And she didn't do this without risk, I think, either. I mean, if you were a slave and you suggested to your powerful captor that you could go get help in another country, they would probably laugh at you, right? I mean... <laughs> Listen, you're a slave girl. Ah, I don't believe you. You know, like uh, she might have um, uh, risked 
worse. What if she sent Naaman over there and the prophet refused to help or they didn't help or nothing changed? He came back and he, he would be really brutal to her maybe because he made, she made her, him look like a fool. He went over to Israel and nothing happened. So here she's taking a risk on what she knew of God and telling this guy and putting her really her life on the line in one sense. So tremendous courage, I think, from this, this young slave girl. Remarkable person. We don't know her name. So who was this guy that uh, was her master? Naaman, we read the story in 2 Kings 5. He was the general of the army, of the Arameans. And he was about as opposite from the slave girl as anyone in the world could be, right? He was a powerful, wealthy, highly respected, well-known man of renown with authority. And she had nothing, no authority, no power, total opposite, a woman, young woman, no respect, just the opposites. He was an enemy of Israel, she was an Israeli. They had different beliefs, different cultures, just as totally opposite as as she could be. And he had a disease. He had a very bad skin disease. What was that about? Was that an evidence of God's judgment on him? I don't know. Anyway, he had all these differences, all these, these things that these two should never have been able to really share, communicate, and yet they did. So how do differences affect evangelism? Well, they really shouldn't. Any, everybody needs to hear the good news. It doesn't matter how different they are, how much of a change uh, in status they have, regardless of age, gender, social status, health, everybody needs to hear the good news. And Naaman was no different. Well, we remember the story. Naaman went off to Israel, took a huge amount of money with him to pay for this healing, uh, went to see the king of Israel and said, okay, I'm here to be healed. The king says, you've got to be kidding me. This is not what I do. You're just trying to pick a fight with me, right? Uh, and then Elisha hears that Naaman's there. He says, King, send him to me. So Naaman rides up to Elisha's house in his chariot with his uh, servants around him, gets out. Elisha sends out his servant. He says, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. Naaman says, you're kidding me. This guy just sends a servant to meet me, the general of the army of the Arameans, and he didn't even bother to come out. He didn't even say, you know, wave his hands over my spots and call on God to heal me? What, he's just going to send me to this dirty Jordan River to be washed? I won't even get clean in that water. It's so muddy. So he was terribly angry, but fortunately he had some servants who were a little bit more on the level than he was. And he, he had good servants, this guy, right? You know, he had this young girl and he had these other guys. They said, listen, Master, if, he, if he'd asked you to do something really difficult, you would have done that, right? So, you know, you've got this disease that's, that's killing you. Why not give this simple answer a little bit of a try? Uh, okay. So he goes off to the Jordan River and washes seven times and miraculously he's changed. He, his skin is like new. It's like a newborn baby. He said, he's like born again. Use that <laughs> word. And he was now tremendously grateful. He goes back to Elisha and says, here, take this big load of cash and money that I've got and all this stuff. And Elisha says, no, I don't need your money. 
okay, well, okay, well, I'm going to scoop up a bunch of dirt from your clan and I'm going to take it back to my land because I'm going to worship your God from now on. Oh, but could you just pray to God for me when I go with my king into his worship time in his temple that, that, that you would, God would forgive me for doing that? And Elijah says, no problem, go in peace. I mean, this is a tremendous story of change in a, in a person because one young girl had the courage and compassion to share what she knew about God with him. So what, does, what do we learn from these stories about evangelism that can help us today? Well, we, we said that evangelism is just telling others about the good news we know about God and, and, his, uh, um, and our experiences with him in our lives. Telling other people what we know about Jesus. We need to be concerned for those who haven't heard that news. We need to uh, put aside our judgments and our biases and our prejudices against people and share that news regardless. We need to put others and their needs ahead of our own, uh, which is important. We shouldn't run away from these opportunities that God arranges and we shouldn't suppress his urgings to, to tell people about himself. We don't need to be afraid, although that's a hard one. Sometimes we're very fearful. Don't let differences hinder us, the different classes, gender, wealth, poverty, whatever. And I think the more we know about Jesus, the more we will want to tell others about him. So bottom line is to get to know more about this one that we are called to spread the good news about. And then how do we actually get to talking about this good news, about what we know about Jesus? I think one way that we could do this is to practice with each other, telling each other what we know and what we've experienced about Jesus. It gets us a little more natural to share then that we have a relationship with Jesus and we can tell other people about him. If we can do that with ourselves who are sharing these experiences together, then we should be more able to do it with those people who haven't heard about him. And what sort of opportunities do we have to do that? Well, every week on Sunday morning we, we meet here to remember Jesus and we share about him. And that's an opportunity for everybody to come and just share your experiences with Jesus and tell other people about him. We have Bible studies and we could share in those times. We have conversations in our hallway, in our fellowship room, could practice telling each other about our experiences with Jesus in those times, times of testimony, in other words, and and of certainly whenever we get together uh, as friends and and this time to talk about Jesus, it's it's really something we don't do enough of. I don't think we just tend to talk about other things, but we really need to remember that we could talk about our Lord, and then we'd have a bit more of a natural comfort level in in doing the same thing with those people who really haven't heard about him and that we'd like to share with him. So those are just a few thoughts and you can think up more thoughts from uh, the examples of Jonah and of this young uh, slave girl and other evangelists in the Old Testament. There's, an, there's other people you could look at. But these are uh, some ideas that uh, the Lord laid on my heart as we thought about Old Testament evangelism. And we find out that really it's not that much different from New Testament evangelism. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness in bringing us together and for this time together. And we pray that you would help us as we learn to share about others, uh, with others about your love for us, your great blessings, about this person, Jesus, who we know, 
but we want other people to know us well. In his name we pray. Amen. Dear Lord, be with us as we go out and live our lives, hopefully for you, Lord, and that you would strengthen us and give us the uh, wisdom to, to make right choices, to, to not hold back and share and, and basically hide the good news under the, the light under the basket. But Lord, that we would take the basket off and not, not hide the light of your truth, of your Son, of what He's done, and what you've done ever since creation, when you created the earth, uh, all the way till now. Lord, you, you were here to call people to you. And Lord, thank you for putting us in the, in the places uh, to be used as your instruments and your tools. And Lord, we need your wisdom, we need your strength, your power, and, uh, and most importantly, Lord, your spirit to be with us, uh, to minister to others. Lord, I just pray that you would enter into all of us and uh, that Timmons would be reached as a result. Amen.